we've been going through the Old Testament, looking at some of the faith lessons, and, and this morning we're looking at the faith lesson of select, selecting capable men. I have a simple goal, and I hope to show that the Bible has much to say concerning the selection of leaders, which includes those whom we vote for in our church, in our schools, in our legislature, in our federal government. It, it, it goes for selecting capable people and all kinds of things. Even those when we hire people, we want to select capable people, right? So ask the typical American what they look for in the candidate, and you will get a wide variety of responses. Some look to see if, it, if the person has a good political posture. Others look for likability. You know, you see a lot of polls about whether the candidates are likable or not. Anyway, still others are attracted by those who have the best looks or, or give the most charismatic speeches. And in fact, in the election between John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon, all of their debates had been on radio until the last, I believe it was the last one. Anyway, they were televised, the last one. And it, when it was televised, and you can see image pictures of this, you can look it up, John F. Kennedy was standing on one side of the, the pl platform at his dais, and he was tall, slender, very good-looking for a man. I mean, I'm not really into looking at men, but anyway, very good-looking. And then over here on the other side was Richard Nixon, old crag, hunched over. He hadn't slept for like four days, what I tell what I hear three or four days, hadn't slept. He was crippled, kind of hunched over, looking at his notes, peering, not exactly the most glamorous looking guy. The first time on television they were together and everybody looked at how youthful and vibrant John F. Kennedy looked and how old and crippled, almost like your pastor. Anyway, so a lot of times it depends on how they look. A lot of times it depends on how well the the candidate debates, how well they advertise. Ask the typical American Christian what they look for in a pastor, and the answers may, be, may not be much different. The New Testament tells us that in the last days, people will follow those who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. It may not be the truth, or it may not be what is best for their salvation, but it makes them feel good. We have a lot of churches these days that are telling people what makes them feel good. In fact, I was talking to the ones up in the upper level before service about some of this, and I said, you know, we've had politicians who, who are supposedly Christians who, because of their behavior, don't really act like Christians, and when confronted about it, one of them said, well, that's okay, I can do whatever I want because I'm saved. I can sin because I'm saved. Ask the typical American Christian what they look for in a Sunday school teacher or in a member of the board of administration or other leadership positions, and you're likely to find that in many churches, this is done in a popularity contest almost, or by belonging to certain founding families, or by self-promotion, or by the one who always has, has always done it, or by who looks the most pious in the church, or even simply by the matter of who has the time to do a specific job. That a lot of times happens. I don't have the time to do that, Pastor. I've got so many other things, and it may be true. And we're going to be having our own elections coming up in two weeks from today. 
for officers of our church. So we're looking for capable people to take positions in the church, positions of leadership. This morning, I want us to look at the qualifications for leadership and governance that God is looking for in a candidate. And we're going to have somebody read from Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 to 27. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, while all the people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people came to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judge for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you and simple cases they can decide themselves that may make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. Thank you. So here's the situation. Moses and the Israelites were out in the wilderness, and they were traveling through. And remember, we've talked about it. There were probably a little over two million of them. Get that? Two million? That's, well, it's a little bigger than Richland Center. And uh, I was trying to figure out in my head how much bigger, but I didn't go there. Anyway, and Moses was playing the judge, the part of the judge for all of these people. Whenever there was any kind of case against another one or any kind of dispute, they all came to Moses and lined up basically. Can you imagine the line that would be today? And Moses would hear the case, decide what's going on and say, next, all day long. And so his father-in-law Jethro said, you're not doing what's right here. You need to, you need to get people who are over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and make them in charge of being able to decide cases. So even if they had people over thousands, 
So this one I can almost do. That would mean they would have 200,000 judges if they were of 1,000 people. And they, and they had qualifications for these. And so we're going to look at what are the qualifications that, that Jethro was telling to Moses to do. The first qualification that he said is, God is looking for leaders, and this is what we say, God is looking for leaders who are able and capable. You know, there's an acronym in business and in, in other places of leadership where you select people who are fat. Thank goodness. Faithful available, and teachable, okay? So we're looking for people who are able and capable. He said, you shall select capable men from among you. In First Chronicles 9.13, the Bible says, they were able men responsible for the service of the Lord. The service of, the, of God needed men and, and men of God in that day, and it still needs men of God or people of God today. God needs men and women of God to serve him. This is not limited to the offices in the church. It is especially critical for our cities, counties, states, and nation to select men and women of God to serve God in the realm of governmental service. We need people who will sacrifice themselves for the service, for the service to, king, to the king, even in their, in their places of leadership and government, instead of servicing power and control. And we need people who are genuine in this not simply giving lip service about their humility and sacrifice. A chicken and a pig came upon a church building and read the advertisement on the sign out front of the church that read, help us feed the poor. Immediately, the chicken suggested that they help the poor out with bacon and eggs. Pig thought for a moment and said, there's one thing wrong with feeding bacon and eggs to the poor. For you, it only requires a contribution. For me, it's total sacrifice. Many in the government today do not want to be totally committed. They do not want to be people of sacrifice. They want to be people of power, getting wealthy from the many perks and funds they can acquire with plausible deniability. You've heard that phrase, right? There are people who have never held a real job of any kind in the private sector who are, had never created any jobs but have been in elected office all of their adult life, making promises and never fulfilling those promises and saying contradicting statements about what they believe or what they will do, saying what they believe the voters' itching ears want to hear. Sounds like scripture, doesn't it? So not only in politics and not only in the church, but we have it in many areas where people go to those who tell them what their itching ears want to hear. If you look at our politicians, and it does not matter what side of the aisle you are on, if you look at our politicians in, in, in national government, you can, you can track their wealth record. Most of them start out with very little, and when they get into office, when they get out of office, they're multimillionaires. Very few of them are not. And it's sad to think that that instead of being in the service of others, they're in the service of themselves on all of that. And like I said, it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you're talking about, but it's our own fault because we accept the lies of these U.S. senators, representatives, and governors. We have put these capable people in power over us because they said that they would give us stuff. I don't remember if it was Tocqueville or who it, who it was that said that basically this, this, constitutional republic that we have in the United States 
will fail, will begin to fail when the people realize that they can vote for themselves from the largesse of the government, basically. They can vote for themselves, those who will give them stuff. And that's when the the republic that we have will begin to fail. Hmm. So we have a $35 trillion national debt? Interesting. Just saying. So what does it mean to be an able man for work? One, able means he is fit for the position, he or she. To be fit to the position, he or she must be qualified for the position he is aspiring to. This is also in the church, and Moses is, is selecting leaders to be judges in there. Unfortunately, we don't elect people who have worked in business or run businesses. We don't elect people in our, a lot of times in churches, don't elect people in our churches by whether they're capable of doing it. We elect people by they've always done it or they have the time to do it. I remember one church where we elected one particular position, and this person had done that position for about 20 years. And they asked, they were going to do the next election. They asked her if she wanted to do it. She said, no, I've never really wanted to do it. I've never felt like I'm capable of doing it. Somebody else should be doing it, but I've always been elected for 20-some years to do this. I would really like to try something else. But we bought, they always elected her because that's what she'd always done. We elect people who are lawyers who have studied how to be a politician at an Ivy League school and have a degree in political science. We elect someone who is totally out of touch with reality, like, hmm, Taylor Swift. We don't elect her. But there's a lot of these people that we look to for our example on how to live life, and they've never lived a real life like you and I. I mean, I think, I think we need to go around our neighborhoods and our schools and our, and our communities and find the veterans and the police officers and the teachers and the parents and the bank tellers and say, say thank you for serving America and making it great. You know, it's not the big people and mighty people that are making this place run. It's us. It's everybody here that's making this place run. To be fit for a position means that the person must have the gifts, skills, and passions that are necessary to give service to others in the position they agree to. They must have a genuine sense of service to others, not just tell us they are serving. Their words and rhetoric must match their past voting records. We must ask the question, what have they accomplished and what are they promising? What's holding true of what the, all they're doing? You know, I've often asked when I go to a new church, what is, your, what is your vision for that church? And I've never told anybody what my vision for that church is because I don't know. I've told the leaders, I've said, listen, I can't know what the vision is for that church until I get into that church and find out who the people are and what's going on, what's happening, what's needed. Then we look at what God wants to do in that area, what the, what the issues are and how can we how could we deal with them? The second thing is able means faithful to the work. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. They must be a good and faithful servant. These servants are to live a life of integrity and just tell us that, and not just tell us that they have integrity, they need to exemplify integrity. What is integrity? Doing the same thing in private as you do in public. Good example. If you can be true to your word in, in private, you can be true to your word in public as well. 
What does God ask us? Why does God ask us to be faithful? Because Scripture tells us that God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. So if God is faithful, he's calling us to be faithful. What does that look like for you? Vance Hanver said this, Many saints prefer to be flashy comets instead of faithful stars. They go up like a rocket, but come down like a rock. How many leaders, religious leaders, have we seen that have plummeted like rocks because of some misstep in behavior and character? What does that say for us as a church as we choose those leaders? Just a thought. Second thing, God is looking for leaders who fear him. You shall select out of all the people able men who fear God. Obviously, this is a must in the church, though oftentimes we assume that our leaders fear God. I, I get, you know, there was, there was this day in our church, in the Free Methodist Church and in other churches, where we looked for leaders who had a vision, like I said, for the future, or who were good politically or this and that. And, I, and in fact, it actually one of the previous bishops' elections, we elected a certain person, and, and somebody said, isn't it great? And it was our first female bishop. Somebody said on Facebook, isn't it great that we elected our first female bishop? And it was very cool. And the person on Facebook said, I look for the day when we never elect another white male as our bishops. Okay? So I responded. I said, I think this bishop is a great lady. I think she's a servant of God. But I said, when did we start looking at ethnicities and gender instead of who is led by the Spirit of God, who is filled with the Holy Spirit of God? And the response came back is, we assume all of them are filled with the Spirit of God. So we have gone, come to an age in Church of Jesus Christ around the world that anybody that stands up in the pulpit is filled with the Spirit of God. How's that going for you? Obviously, though, this is a must in the church. We can't just assume that people are filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't assume that they're listening to the Holy Spirit as, the, as, they're, as they're going out about their business of leading. We have to see those who are practicing what they're preaching. And that includes me. We look at Jesus' teachings about the Pharisees and the hypocrites. He says, you know, they aren't doing, they tell you what you're supposed to do, but they aren't going to even lift a finger to help somebody else. Psalm 2, verses 10 and 11 reiterates the same idea. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. You know, if we, as leaders of the church, if we, as leaders of our communities, if we have leaders of our businesses, would fear the Lord and say, I want to govern my business in the fear of the Lord, and every decision I make, I should be trembling to know whether this is something that is right with God. I should be in fear and, and holy admiration and holy awe. Is this something would God would want us to do? Did you notice the word fear and trembling? In the Hebrew, those words convey the ideas that they had an exceeding dread of the Almighty, which comes as a result of realizing that one day they're going to answer to him. They're leaders who understand that God holds them to a higher standard of accountability. Is it any wonder then why some of our nation's original colonies 
had laws on their books that said one could not be elected to a public office unless they were God-fearing Christians. That was in their laws. It was a disqualifier for office if you were not a God-fearing Christian. Fear of the Lord is an awe-filled reverence. Why is the fear of the Lord so, so important? The fear of God safeguards leaders from an inordinate fear of people. The statement is, is made, he who kneels before God can stand before anything and anyone. You know, one of the things that pastors have to be very careful with is, is we let our feelings of what people might think of us dictate what we preach. If I'm asking the Lord what we are to be preaching about, the Lord's going to step on my toes too. And if the Lord is stepping on my toes with the message that I'm to deliver, that means that I'm not delivering what your itching ears want to hear. I've had some people tell me that, Pastor, you need to preach on this, and Pastor, you need to preach on that, and here's what you need to preach. Like, you know, I'm going to be in my private time with God and let him lead me what we're doing. And I think we should all be that way. The fear of God leads to great wisdom. The scriptures say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Today we hear a lot of talk about how smart or dumb a candidate is. Intelligence is fine, but wisdom is better. Here are the two differences. Intelligence speaks to how much a person knows, while wisdom addresses the proper usage of that knowledge. We may know a lot, or we may not know a lot, but how we handle what we know in dealing with the issues of the day tells whether we have wisdom or not. We can have somebody who appears to be the dumbest candidate, and you hear a lot of that these days, but they may be quite wise in how they do things. The fear of God keeps leaders from becoming arrogant. It helps them remember that they are but ministers of God sent to do his bidding. According to James Madison, his, here's his quote, Before any man can be considered a member or leader of civil society, he must be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe. Application? So, as you look at a candidate for church or government or business, examine these beliefs. Look deeply into what they say about the Almighty. If he or she says she's a Christian, does his life or her life exemplify that? Do their campaign promises match the reality? Do what they're trying to express match what they're actually doing? Proverb 29.2 says, When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. And then the third qualification for leadership is God is looking for leaders who are truthful. The, the scripture we read said, select from among the people men of truth. Pro, Proverbs 14.34 says, righteousness exalts a, neighbor, a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Notice that the passage doesn't say, do they tell the truth? It says, are they men of truth? Are they people of truth? There's a big difference between telling the truth and being men of truth. How is it we live our lives on a daily basis? Much is being said about the character, about people's characters in this year's election, but that character is reflected in what candidates do in their private negotiations with foreign governments and foreign people and in all kinds of interactions. As we look at a candidate's personal word world, God wants us to ask questions like, does he keep his promises? Does his personal life hold verity or truth? 
does he understand <laughs> what the word is is our challenge select the one who is, shows the most amount of trustworthiness in all things that's in business that's in city leadership that's in schools that's in church that's in our nation and and there might be a few this relates to it's also in selecting a mate a spouse the fourth qualification is God is looking for leaders who hate dishonest game. Oh my goodness. Maybe we should just skip that part. Therefore, it says, therefore, you, have, you shall select from among men, people men who hate dishonest game. I'm telling you what, that's pretty, pretty important. And I think we can probably give multiple examples of that in our government. Reverend Chandler Robbins addressed profiting unjustly in a sermon he preached before governor-elect john hancock in 1791 he said this how constantly do we find it inculcated in the sacred writings that rulers be just men fears of god haters of covetedness that they sh that they shake their hands from holding bribes because a gift blindeth the eyes of the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous you can get a bribe not just for money but with praise. How many peoples and people in leadership and churches look for and thrive on, Pastor, that was such a wonderful sermon. Well, that's great, and I, I'm glad that you do. I'd rather you say, Pastor, that was a great sermon, or then, Pastor, that really stunk. But the real issue is what we're looking for is, how do we apply what God is telling us? Let's make a few points. God isn't against leaders who are wealthy, but we must be careful because there's an ever-present possibility of wealth corrupting the mindset. God isn't, is against the leader who gained his wealth in an unjust or illegal or unethical manner, such as through bribery or abuse of power, and God wants us to elect individuals who will fight against those who profit from politics. We are in an election year. If you didn't know this, I don't know if you've noticed this in the news or anything, but we're in an election year. So as we examine the lives of pastors and teachers or presidents, governors, senators, representatives, we must ask ourselves, does he shake his hand from taking a bribe? Does he refuse, he or she refuse those accolades of praise? And is he or she just telling them words that their itching ears want them to hear? I want somebody to govern over me who does what is right and righteous. I want somebody to govern over me who has the heart of God in him or her and is leading in such a way that they're looking to the Lord for that, for that leadership and everything new. That's what Jethro is telling Moses to do. You can't do this all alone. You're going to wear yourself out, and you're going to wear them out too. So find these people who are capable people, who are leaders, who hate a dishonest gain, who don't, he didn't say this, but don't tell the people what their itching ears want to hear. Don't, don't take bribes. I mean, it would be easy to in a court of law, as they would be. The one who comes in the particular case who has the most money wouldn't, right? It would be easy that, I mean, there are too many people. How many know what's going on in each individual case? Our Constitution and this was John Adams who wrote this. We have no government armed with power or capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, and gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution 
as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is totally inadequate to the government of any other. Elias Bodenot, portrait of in, in his in a book about him, says, "Be religiously careful in our choice of all public leaders, and judge of the tree by tree by its fruit." Doesn't that sound biblical? Hmm. You'll be judged by your fruit. Plato says the penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men worse than themselves. <clears throat> Let me repeat that. The penalty that good men pay for not being interested in politics is to be governed by men worse than themselves. When we are selecting leaders, do you want to select somebody who is worse than yourself? So when we select leaders in this church, I'm asking you to be in prayer about it, very much so. As we select leaders to take us into the future for this church, we want to select people who are capable people, faithful people, teachable people, people who are looking to the Spirit of God to lead them in decisions made for this church. That statement from Exodus chapter 18, or, or, yeah, 18 verse 21, but select capable men from all the people, excuse me, is that 18? Yes, 18 verse 21. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over them. Now, this is specifically, as I said, appointing officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, but it's people who govern over those people. If at some point we ever had thousands of people, we might do that. But we have a group of people that we're, we're nominating to serve as leaders over this church, and we're looking at that for, for who is God leading in the leadership of this church. So we need to be looking at prayerfully selecting those whom God will ask to be. Heavenly Father, as we close the service, we think of these lessons from Scripture, and boy, you know, I can't imagine leading two million plus people. Some of us have headaches leading the four or five in our home. And Father, we thank you for the faithful parents, the faithful bank tellers, the faithful teachers, the faithful leaders in our business. We thank you, Father, for those that are faithfully doing what you would ask them to do. We ask, Father, as we select our leaders, you would help us to seek capable, God-fearing, trustworthy people. In Jesus' name, amen.